So how you guys doing? I'm doing all right. My name is Bill Reeser, and I'm the pastor of Encounter, and I want to welcome everyone out to the greatest place to be on a Friday night. I also want to welcome everyone watching online, and for those of you that are on social media, pull out your phones, invite everyone to the service, check in, uh, because you're at Encounter, where hope can be found, and tonight... We're celebrating our six-month anniversary since the launch of Encounter. Praise God for his faithfulness. Yeah, God is so good. And so we're going to get right into it because last week we kicked off a two-week series. We're going to conclude it tonight tackling the question, how can I be free from me? How can I be set free from me? And we talked about unhealthy mental hang-ups that we have in our lives. And we talked about six weapons, not of mass destruction, but of self-destruction, with the first one being shame, the second one being uncontrolled thoughts, the third one being compulsions. The fourth one we're going to address today is fear. Can't be a person of faith and fear. Fear doesn't come from God. We're also going to be talking about hopelessness. Hopelessness keeps you from keeping on. When you start to feel hopeless about anything, you get discouraged. You want to give up. The self-destructive weapon that you use on you. When you turn it inward, it robs you of everything that God wants to do in your life. And the sixth weapon of self-destruction is insecurity. And you got to deal with this one. Insecurity is a big one. Now we learn that in just one chapter, which a lot of Bible scholars consider the greatest chapter in the Bible, Romans chapter 8. So if you have your Bibles, you want to take them out. If you don't have one, just find one in the seat in front of you. It's great to take with you. You want to go to Romans. Uh, you want to just go all the way to the, to the right, a third, you know, two-thirds of the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, okay? And then you'll find the book of Acts, and then you'll find the book of Romans, and you're going to go right to chapter 8. And so we only had time last week to cover the first four antidotes, which were the first one was, I must remind myself, we found this in Romans 8.1, what Jesus did for me. The second thing is I have the Holy Spirit living inside of me, and I have a new power greater in my life than willpower, because willpower only takes us so far. The third thing we learned last week was I asked the Holy Spirit to give me better thoughts. For those of you disciples, you know it as taking our thoughts captive to the obedience of Christ. And then the fourth one is I have a new ability to say no. And the fifth one is we're going to learn today as the first antidote to overcome fear in our lives is I need to turn my thoughts to God whenever I'm afraid. I need to turn my thoughts over to God whenever I'm afraid. So what are you afraid of? What are you fearful about these days? Do you know what the number one fear that people have? A lot, it's a lot of different fears. Fear of speaking. I used to have a fear of speaking. Fear of new social situations. Actually, what I found as a pastor, dealing with people, especially in the recovery world, is that the number one fear that people have is, their, is the fear of their life being completely out of control. That's a big, big fear when you feel that you're like, because when you feel that your life is out of control, guess what? You think you're out of control. Then you think you're going crazy. And there are going to be a lot of seasons in your life when things are going to be out of control. There are many, many reasons for why things in your life are going to get out of control. 
But I will tell you that one of the root causes why things get so out of control in your life is because everything is broken. Nothing in the world works right. You, you learn this from studying Romans 8. Everybody's broken. You're broken. I'm broken. The weather's broken. It's 180 degrees outside. Okay? I learned how to make holy water today. I just put water outside. I burned the hell out of it. It's holy water. It's hot, for goodness sake. But everything's broken. Politics is broken. Economy's broken. Everything is broken. Nothing is perfect in this world. But you don't have to be afraid that your life is out of control and losing it, especially when you read Romans chapter 8. Well, let me say this. Reading Romans 8 may expose one of the biggest fears, and this fear may be one of the most detrimental fears that you could ever have. This fear has kept people stuck like no other fear that I've ever seen. This fear may be one of the most dangerous fears that you could ever have. This fear is the main reason why thousands upon thousands, especially those struggling with big addictions, can never find freedom from their lives. And their lives are always out of control. And this is a fear that no one will ever hardly admit to. And what I'm talking about here is the fear of the Holy Spirit. Many of you have a fear. You're saying, I'm all right with Jesus. Jesus is all right with me. I get the Father, but don't give me this Holy Spirit stuff. Don't give me all of the Holy Spirit, because if I give in to the Holy Spirit, that means I'm really giving up control. See, a lot of people are afraid of the Holy Spirit. I don't want to be filled with the Spirit. I don't want to turn into some religious nut. Does that mean if I get filled with the Spirit, I'm going to be like those people on TV? You slap your head, turn into, and start doing the funky chicken? I don't think so, because it looks like their lives are out of control. Actually, it's the exact opposite. The more of the Holy Spirit you have, the more control your life is going to be. And I love that. And so, if God says he didn't give us a spirit of fear, and you say, I'm afraid of something, especially even the Holy Spirit, you can say, well, that's not from you, God. And what do you get if God doesn't give you a spirit of fear, like, like it says in 2 Timothy 2.17? That fear is not from God, because when, when that spirit comes into you, you get love. I want that. You get filled with power. I want that. You get filled with self-control. I want that. Holy Spirit, whatever you got, I want it. It doesn't make me some nutcase. It makes me more loving. It makes me more balanced. So the Spirit in me doesn't make me a lunatic or religious nut. To be filled with the Spirit makes me more self-controlled. The more Spirit-controlled I am, the more self-control I'm going to be. This is a big deal. I was, I, was, I was here this, this past weekend, and as I was leaving, and I want you guys to pick one up. There's a box back there right underneath that, that camera. And, I, I, and as I was preparing my, uh, my talk today, uh, the sanctuary put this little pamphlet together on, on talking about, you know, what, what does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? I want you to pick one of these up, because I read it in its entirety today. My computer o almost crashed. And I said, okay, God, you want me to read this? And I just read it, and I got so encouraged. I don't have time to get into it. I want you to pick one up. I think we have a bunch back there. 
you're going to be really encouraged by reading this. Because a lot of you are saying, well, I, you know, give me God, give me Jesus, give me the Father, give me all that, give me, I really want Jesus, but don't, you know, I'm not going to be some, I'm not, I, listen, God's looking for good fruit, not religious nuts, okay? And God wants to produce good fruit in you, and the only way good fruit gets produced in you is through the power of the Holy Spirit. It's an inside job. Look what it says in Romans 8. It says, for you did not receive the spirit of bondage. Notice how he says, you didn't receive the spirit of bondage again to fear. Because when you're fearful, you're in bondage. But you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. Look look at, there's so much in this verse. We, We can unpack it in weeks and weeks. But what it's saying here, you received the spirit of adoption, which means you are grafted into the family of God. And when you cry out to your father, Abba means daddy. It's the most intimate name that you can actually give. It's, it's father. It's daddy. You cry out, Abba, father. The spirit, when, when you do that, when you realize that, when you receive that spirit, the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. So much in that. I wish we had time to unpack that, but we'll be here all night. The fifth thing that we learned from Romans 8 is about the antidote to hopelessness. This is a big deal. And to do this, we have to focus on the long term, not the short term. This is a big, big deal. Actually, there was a study done that found out the more long term your thinking is, the more successful you're going to be in life. The shorter term your thinking is, the more failures you're going to experience in life. People who fail a lot in life have short-term thinking because they're only thinking about today. They're only thinking about the here and now. But the longer term you think, the more successful you'll be in life. It's so interesting because my computer just about crashed today and I had to go to the Apple store and I'm speaking to someone today and, and he starts talking. We start talking. We got this dialogue and he starts talking to me about the role of, of a father. And I... And I'm going to get into it in about 10 minutes. And I said, you have no idea that, uh, that I, actually I'm going to be preaching on that tonight. You probably had no idea I was a preacher. Uh, and then he said something to me that was very interesting, talking about manhood and all this stuff and being su- successful in life. And it had to do with this point that I'm making about people who are short-term or long-term thinkers. He said, do you remember the interview that Matthew McConaughey uh, had on TV when someone asked him, who's your hero? And he couldn't answer it, but then he came back and he said, he said, he said, my hero is the person I want to be 10 years from now. This person who I want to be 10 years from now. That's a little self-centered, a little narcissistic. But he's, at least he's thinking long-term. Alrighty, alrighty, alrighty. <laughs> but as a follower of Jesus, when we think long-term, we're thinking about eternity. So we got this one hands down. Yes. And, and the Bible says over and over, set your, things, set your mind on things above. Think about things that are above. Because we're not just thinking about our life here on earth. We're thinking about our life trillions and trillions and trillions of years down the road. And living in the light and focus of eternity is the key to being as successful as you'll ever be. Those are the most successful people I know the people that have their mindset on eternity. See, when you think long-term like that, you're going to handle short-term pain a whole lot better. 
you're going to be able to handle short-term losses, short-term failures, disappointments, hindrances, and roadblocks a whole lot better in your life when you got your mind set on eternal things. See, when you're just thinking about today, this week in your life, it says, as a pastor who really does love you, I'm thinking about your life. I'm thinking about where you're going to be at the end of this year, at the end of 10 years from now, at the end of your life, and the legacy that you're going to leave. That's why I'm, we're, we're in the middle of reevaluating everything that we do here so that we can do a better job of providing the greatest environment where God works best so that your life can be all that God's called you to be. And so that's, why, that's what I'm praying for. And Romans 8, 17, 18 talks about focusing on the long term. This is all in one chapter, y'all. It says this, since we are his children, we will possess. Don't miss that. That's a promise, but that's in the future. It says, it doesn't say that we possess this now. There's a lot of things we do possess now, but he's talking about what we're going to possess. Since we are his children, it says we will possess the blessings he keeps for his family. And we will also possess with Christ, don't miss this one, with Christ what God has kept for him. Got to read it slow. Got to think about it. Got to let it marinate. Got to pray about it. God, what are you saying? What are you saying to me? And how can I apply this? To, what does this mean to my life? How can I apply this to my life? Well, let's unpack that. For, did you know that? that? The Bible says when you get to heaven, you're going to get rewarded. That's the first thing that's saying. There's a reward for you in heaven. You're going to be rewarded for how well you did with what you were given here on planet Earth. What you do with your time, your money, your influence, and most importantly, Jesus Christ. What did you do with Christ? How much did you give him away? And God has put stuff in each and every one of your hands. Every single one of you ha has been given stuff to give away. And you're going to be evaluated on heaven and your rewards are going to be based on what's been given to you. And not only, the Bible, not only does the Bible say you're going to get rewarded on what you did with Jesus, what you did with your time, your treasure, your talent, but you're going to get rewarded for what Jesus did. You're going to get rewarded for what he did. Did you know that? Let's read it closely again. And also we will possess with Christ what God has kept for him. Got to go through it slowly. That's what it means when you read that you're going to co-reign with Christ. We're going to be heirs with Christ, with the Father. That's what it means to share in Christ's glory. It's not for your glory. It's for his glory. But you're going to share in it because what he possesses, what he inherits, you inherit. So the key is not to focus on your numbing, your medicating, or even suppressing your pain right now, but on the long-term benefits of doing the right thing and sharing in his glory forever and ever. Look what it says in the rest of the verse. It says, for if we share Christ's sufferings, we will also share his glory. I consider that what we suffer at this present time cannot be compared with all the glory that is going to be revealed to us. That's a treasure. 
That's waiting for each and every one of us. But here's what the Apostle Paul is saying. Yeah, you know what? It's not always going to be easy living for Christ. There is going to be suffering. It's not always easy doing the right thing. Fact is, the more you love Christ, the more people may hate you. The more people may oppose you. It's not always easy making the moral decisions. But the long-term benefit is going to far outlast your pain. It's going to far outlast your pain. Focus on the long-term, not the short-term. Now I'm going to give you a simple prayer to pray. That if you pray this prayer over any big decision that you'll ever have to make in your life, and you're open to the Holy Spirit speaking to you and leading you and telling you exactly what to do, if you pray this prayer, I know the Holy Spirit will speak to you. And this prayer, it's a real simple prayer I've learned to pray for many, many years. And here it is. Holy Spirit, how will this matter for eternity? In any decision you have to make, family decision, relationship decision, work decision, conflict decision, doing this, doing that, Lord, how will this matter for eternity? And God will tell you exactly what to do. There's an additional healthy habit. This is a bonus for you that you need to develop to overcome hopelessness. I remind myself that God is good and he's in control. I remind myself that God is good and he's in control. You need to remind yourself of that over and over every day. If you don't, you're going to lose control. I don't have time to get into all the verses of verse 19 to 25 in Romans 8. But Paul describes how sin has damaged the world. So I was talking about a few minutes ago. Sin has broken this world. Everything in the world has lost its original purpose. Everything in the world is suffering. Everything in the world is pain. And everything in the world is frustrated because sin broke it all down. And everything is frustrated because everything is broken. Look what it says in verse 20. It says, everything created is subject to frustration waiting to be liberated from its bondage to decay. All of creation groans in pain like childbirth. But don't miss the last four words. And we groan inwardly. That's tough. That's hard. That's difficult. Why is life so hard? Well, the environment's groaning. Think of the weather, earthquakes, tsunamis, all the stuff going on. But we groan in pain because relationships are broken. He says the result of living in a broken world is pain. And the scars we have from the broken relationships in our lives create many of these negative mindsets that wreak havoc on our lives. And when those mindsets are fixated on what people do, didn't do, expect them to do, and not looking at God first, our unrealistic expectations of others never measure up. When others don't measure up and you don't turn them and what they do over to God, you're going to develop a lot of negative relational mindsets that are nothing short of destructive. You'll become judgmental, envious, bitter, resentful, skeptical, just to name a few of many, many negative mindsets. You won't take risks. You'll stop trusting people. You'll think the worst of people. You'll bring out the worst of people. 
Because of your broken relationships, this is a big one, you'll tend to see God through the lens of all the bad things that people have done to you. If your earthly father or parents divorced, you tend to think that God has abandoned you. If you look at society and the number one issue and root problem that's under attack, it's not health care, it's not immigration, it's not anything that you see people arguing about and losing their minds over on TV. It is the traditional family model that God of the universe created that's been under attack and has been under attack for over 2,000 years since Jesus Christ came, defeated death, rose from the grave, and offers abundant life. A century ago, divorce was almost unheard of. Not close to 50% of all couples get divorced. Close to 40% of Christian families surveyed in one survey said they had a bad relationship with their father. As a result of all of this, crime is up. Drug use is on the rise. One in three girls, one in six boys will be sexually assaulted before they reach the age of 18 in this country. The majority of physical, sexual, emotional, and religious don't forget that one. Abuse against children comes from fathers or other male authority figures. Children who are supposed to look up to these men become scared and scarred. Some for life that never recover. If you had a bad relationship with your dad, you will most likely have a distorted view of fathers in general that will neg negatively influence all your relationships. A poor relationship with your father will distort everything that you view in your life. It will affect the way you look at authority figures, the way you view all men. It will affect your marriage and all your relationships. See, a father either works to build up his child or tears his child down. There's no such thing as a neutral relationship with a father. A father is either doing one or the other. And it would be impossible to list all the needs in a child's life that a father is supposed to meet. And God has given him, a father, the role of providing security and stability for the family. He's supposed to demonstrate to his son how a man should behave. His daughters should know what to look for in a husband by observing their father. He should be the first one to tell his little girl that she's beautiful, that she's amazing, that she's loved, and there's nothing she could ever do in this life that would ever make her, that would ever make him stop loving his little girl. If he doesn't, she may doubt her beauty all her life and feel that she has to continually prove herself for the rest of her life. She may doubt if she's truly loved and she'll set out on a journey to find that love and will stop at nothing to get it. God has put within every child the deep desire to be loved, accepted, and protected by their father. When children don't have a loving, protective father figure, they develop fears, disassociations, and controlling behaviors. Part of God's design for a family is that it would serve as a model to teach young people about their relationship with God. A family unit should teach people what it means to be in a relationship with Jesus Christ. And there is a direct correlation between the relationship you had with your father and with your heavenly father. Yes. It's a big deal. If you found your father to be negative, distant, 
uninterested in you, unavailable for your emotional needs, you'll tend to perceive your Heavenly Father the same way. As long as you continue to see your Heavenly Father in distorted ways, you're not going to be able to be all that God has designed for you to be. You limit yourself in your relationship with God by your incorrect perceptions. Before you know it, you have let the enemy of your soul convince you that God is nowhere to be found. That he doesn't care for you. And we start getting resentful. And then we start saying, well, life is unfair. Well, what else is new? Of course life is unfair. And the enemy seeks to use your false perceptions of your heavenly father so that you will eventually give up on God. He tried to do it with a girl that I recently read about this week. This really broke my heart. It looked like she had the ideal Christian family. They were members of a good church. And many children probably wish they lived in a happy family like hers. Reality was different. When the girl was two years old, her father started coming into her room at night to sexually assault her. The abuse was so bad that while she was still a child, she had to have colon reconstruction surgery. Her abuse continued until she left home as a teenager. Her exposure, on the other hand, to Christianity at church gave her a thirst to know God. But she began to wonder if she really wanted a relationship with a God who would allow her to suffer such horrible abuse. Could she trust God when he didn't seem to help when she needed it the most? And she wondered, would God even want a relationship with me? Look at how dirty I am. Look at how disgusting and repulsive I am. Certainly I deserved everything I got when I was growing up. I'm filthy inside. Why would a pure and powerful God desire to have me as his daughter? Friends, those are precisely the thoughts the enemy wanted her to have. He wanted her to view a relationship with God as hopeless because of her past. Fortunately, in time, the young girl came to know what her heavenly father was really like, but it was a struggle. She eventually learned to let him fill the void and heal the pain in her heart that resulted from her father's abuse. And many adults are blocked in their relationship with God the Father because they superimpose the attributes of their absent or abusive earthly fathers onto God. As she was going to sleep one night, she pictured herself, get this, sitting on her heavenly Father's lap, snuggling close to Abba Father. And then a panic hit her. She instinctively thought that if she stayed too close to him, she would be leading him on. And that would cause him, him, to abuse her like her earthly father did. And then her panic turned to horror when she realized that she had assumed that because God was a man, Jesus came in the form of a man, he would abuse her. And this led her to evaluate the way that she perceived God. And even though it seemed foolish, she reached a point in her prayers one night where she said, she asked God, can I really trust you? And somehow, 
No pastor could do this. No program could do this. But the Holy Spirit did this. The Holy Spirit ministered to her. And the Holy Spirit assured her in her spirit that God her Father truly loved her with a pure love and that he would never hurt her the way her earthly father hurt her. That he would be the father that she always dreamed of and that she could trust him. And that girl is healed in Jesus' name today. It's not an easy task to correct your view of your heavenly father. It requires that you face the pain of your past, allow God to heal it, and allow the Holy Spirit to take full control of your life and reveal to you the wonder and truth of your heavenly Father's love for you. It's an everlasting love. You've got to learn how to deal with that weapon of self-destruction. And the way you do it is remind yourself that God is good and he's in control. And you let the Holy Spirit remind you of that each and every day. Friends, pain in your life is not optional. Misery is. You're going to have pain in your life. You know what it's called? Life. Suffering in your life is not optional. You're going to have suffering. Misery, moaning is optional. Bitterness is optional. On top of that, when you look at the following verses in Romans what? Eight. It'll do something to your bruised heart if you let it. In verse 26 and 27, it says this, the Holy Spirit is praying for you. You might want to write that one down. The Holy Spirit's praying for you. That helps me because no matter what I'm going through, I know that God's on my side. I've got Jesus who sits at the right-hand Father who lives to make intercession for us, and I got the Holy Spirit praying for me a perfect prayer that I don't even know how to pray, that he's going to pray for me if I let him fill me with the Holy Spirit. It says here, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We don't know how to pray as we should. But the Spirit himself speaks to God for us. Wow. He's praying for you. Did you know that? The Holy Spirit is calling up your father on your behalf and praying for you. It says the spirit of God prays for us, even begs God for us with deep feelings that words cannot explain. God sees what's in our heart and the spirit speaks to God for his people in the way that God wants. So no matter what you're going through, here's four additional tips from Uncle Bill, straight out of Romans 8. <laughs> Say Uncle Paul, out of Romans 8. 1A, the Holy Spirit's praying for me. Write that one down. Next thing to remember is God is using everything in my life for good. It's not all good. What that girl went through, not good. But God is using it for good. The next verse says, and we know that in all things, God works for the good. Well, if there was ever a misquoted scripture, that would be it. God works for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. See, God's not going to find the good in a disaster 
unless you love him and called according to his purpose. Got to love him back. It's not all good, but God's using it for good. God is greater than my problems. He's greater than my enemies, greater than my critics. God will find the good, even in a disaster. See, God wants me to succeed. Did you know that? God's cheering you on. He's your best cheerleader. He's doing splits for you. He loves you. He wants you to succeed. He doesn't want you to fail in life. He's not against you. If you're a Christian, you're a believer, anybody, if you're living, God is for you. The Bible says this in verse 31. So what can we say about such wonderful things? If God is for us, who can be against us? If God is for us, who can be against us? Remember, I'm in the family. Don't mess with the family. My father, you don't want to mess with my father. You don't want to mess with the son. You don't want to mess with the Holy Spirit. They protect me. My father is God, and God wants me to succeed. D, God will give me what I need. When I'm feeling blue, when I'm feeling bitter, I need to remind myself that God is good. He's in control. The Holy Spirit's praying for me. He's going to use everything for good. He wants me to succeed. He wants me to succeed, but he is going to give me what I need. Look at verse 32. Since God did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't God who gave us Christ give us everything else? God will give you everything that you need. God's got it covered. There's nothing in your life that God doesn't care about. He knows every hair on your head. Even if it's gone, you know how much you used to have. And if God didn't spare his son to solve my biggest problem, if he didn't spare his son to solve my biggest problem, everything else is a piece of New York cheesecake. <laughs> the last healthy habit destroys one of the most devastating mental hang-ups, and that's insecurity. Nothing fuels insecurity like being rejected. But here's one thing I can tell you. And that's, a, that's a big fear being rejected. That's why a lot of you run out of here when the service is done and you don't go to groups. Because if you go to groups and share what's in your heart and your fear is if they, if they reject me, then I'm all I've got. And you can't handle another rejection. But what's going to happen is they're going to love and accept you more. You got to go to groups because you're sick as your secrets. And that's how we heal. We get better together. The thing that you want to keep inside the most is everything that God wants you to reveal the most. Because when there's revealing, there's healing. You got to go to group. You got to go to group. Don't run out. We have electric shock things at the door tonight. You'll get hurt. Okay? You will get hurt. Go to group, please. So the seventh habit is this. Trust that God will never stop loving me. Amen. Trust that God will never stop loving me. You trust that God will never, ever stop loving me. I'm in the family. He'll never stop loving me. I love Romans 8, 38, 39. So many different translations of this. I'm convinced. Here's the question. Paul was convinced. Are you convinced? I'm convinced. Are you convinced? Are you convinced? Are you convinced? I'm convinced that nothing could ever separate us from his love. 
Death can't, life can't, angels can't, demons can't. Our fears for today, our worries about tomorrow, even the powers of hell can't keep God's love away. Whether we are high above the sky or in the deepest ocean, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing. Just think about that for a second. Always remember this fact. Never forget this. When you feel disconnected and separated from God because of what you have done or what has been done to you, God has never disconnected himself from you and he has never left your side. While others may have left you, while others may have separated from you, nothing can ever separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. No matter what life throws at you, when all of hell comes at you, when your fears consume you, when anything broken in this world affects you, you are never, ever separated from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. As Tay was talking about, I don't know who you are. I don't know what you're struggling with. But as she prophetically said and had no idea what this message was, God loves you. He has never stopped loving you. He's always loved you. And he will continue to love you. Obviously, this is a message for both guys and girls. But I love what it says in Zephaniah 3.17. And I do think of the women in here for this scripture. For the Lord your God is living among you. He is a mighty Savior. He will take delight in you with gladness. With his love, he will calm all your fears. And he will rejoice over you with joyful songs. He will rejoice over you with joyful songs. That's how much God loves you. Rejoice over you literally means when you look up the original language, it says to dance, skip, to leap, to spin around in joy. And God dances with shouts of joy over us. God dances with shouts of joy over us. It's one thing to know that God delights over you with singing and dancing. It really is. And God loves you so much. And God will never, ever stop loving you. And God is dancing over you tonight. He's spinning around, singing over you, and dancing over you tonight because he loves you. And the question I have for you tonight is are you dancing with God? Let's worship.